Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Launch Podcast. I'm your host, the editor of Airline Weekly, Maduni Christian, and I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and Airline Weekly. On today's episode of The Lounge, we talk about uh, Southwest's large 737-7 MAX order from Boeing. We also talk about Southwest restoring all its pre-pandemic capacity by August and what that might mean and how there might be a capacity traffic mismatch. And we talk about uh, United going supersonic and whether that might actually happen by 2029. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you have any feedback for me, you can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. Check out our site, airlineweekly.com. A new issue of the weekly drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. If you're not a subscriber, information for subscribing is on our site. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Madhu? I am good, and let's kick off another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. But before we get started, let, let me remind all our listeners that they can reach you at er at skiff.com. They can reach me at mu at skiff.com. We welcome any feedback. Also, check out our um, our website, uh, airlineweekly.com. New issues of the weekly drop every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. If you're not a subscriber, we have info on how to subscribe on the site. Anyway, Ned, let's uh, let's let's talk about this news that we're recording this on Tuesday, June 8th. Um, the big news of the day is that Southwest ordered 34 737-7s. That is right, Madhu. And it's interesting because it is some much needed good news for Boeing, right? I mean, the air framers had a kind of a problematic year. I mean, just, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking this podcast about how Michael Leary was uh, – the CEO of Ryanair was telling anyone who would listen or complaining to anyone who would listen about Boeing's delay for the, for the Ryanair variant, the high density max. And well, I don't know. I don't know if I would go as far as saying Boeing's difficult year is over yet. Uh, Ryanair, like you're mentioning, still hasn't gotten their maxes and, and doesn't, doesn't look like they're going to get them until after the summer season, which they're you know, quite disappointed about. And uh, disappointed last... might be a bit mild too. <laughs> <laughs> how how does Michael Leary describe it, Madhu? Oh, I mean, he he said he was quite upset with Boeing and all sorts of other things. But they're very hyperbolic. But he's not happy. But you're right. right. Uh, you're right, Boeing. I'm um, Boeing. You're right, Ned. I mean, Boeing's uh, Boeing's year has not been great. I mean, the, the yes, today's order delivery numbers are good. They're you know they they have order, uh, delivered twenty more aircraft than they or than they did last month. Um, but you know they still had the they had the terrible um, seven eight seven production delay and um, an electrical issue with some maxes that had already been in service, and um, the triple seven X. I mean that that program is looking less and less likely at this point. That's interesting. You say the program's looking less and less likely. I mean, it, it delayed, yes, but I wouldn't. I haven't written it off yet. No, it will happen. I, 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 sh- I should say it. It will happen. It's a production error. It will go into production. But I mean, the orders have been anemic, and um, and you know, some of the the launch customers are, are like Emirates and and Etihad are are Emirates is are, they're quite upset with Boeing about some of the delays. So. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a tough year in Seattle and Chicago. Um, so this this max order from Southwest is is a vote of confidence and and some really needed good news. 
It definitely is. You know, Southwest earlier this year opted for the Mac 7 after a brief dalliance uh, saying they were considering the A220. You know, how much, how serious they actually were versus a marketing ploy, we'll, uh, you know, is, is they know and, and we don't, unfortunately. We will never but know. <laughs> we may never know. That's right. Uh, so it's definitely a vote of confidence for the Mac 7. You know, they, they exercised, they were all options, uh, all coming in 2022. So now they have 64 Mac 7s coming next year, which is a lot of deliveries. And they moved up some other options. So they have 220 plus options they could exercise between uh, 2022 and 2025. So Southwest is going to be taking a lot of Maxes. Now, uh, Raymond James, analyst of Anthony Scythe, she made a good point that Southwest also said they're going to be retiring 30 to 35 737s over the every year mm-hmm. for the next decade. So it's a lot of these planes are going to be replacement aircraft, though I believe the Max 7 is going to seat a few more passengers than the, the 700. So it's going to be some incremental growth, you know, but again, it's it is good news for Boeing. And um, it comes on the heels of. Like I said, that earlier Max 7 order this year, and then United, Alaska, Ryanair have all, all placed orders. But there's still a lot of question marks. It's yeah. um, I, I, One thing I'd mention is, is the Max 7 still isn't certified. Right. And the other week, Boeing CEO said at a, a Bernstein conference that certification is uh, more challenging because of the, the FAA's more rigorous review of its mm-hmm. aircraft. You know, He said that not referring to any specific plane, but as we've seen with the... Uh, <laughs> Ryanair Game Changers. <laughs> yes, the Game Changers. Ryanair keeps trying to make that happen. It is the Max. It's not going to be rebranded the Game Changer anytime soon. Yep. Sorry, yep. Michael. But that certification has been been held up. And, and who's to say the Max 7 certification isn't going to be as well? So there's still a lot of questions. The Southwest isn't expecting the first one till next year. So they've still got time. But you know, it's uh, Boeing isn't out of the woods. That's for yeah. sure. No, it's a tough year for the air framer. But there's something else you wrote about uh, when you covered the Southwest order, and that is Southwest will be the first major U.S. carrier to restore its pre-pandemic capacity this August, right? That's correct. Southwest uh, provided an updated guidance. So this is Tuesday, and they will be back to 2019 capacity. So ASKs, ASMs by August is is their forecast. You know, but um, what I find it, it says two things. Leisure demand is back strong in the U.S., at least especially domestically, and Southwest is really capitalizing on it. Uh, business demand, they said still revenue still remained down 77%. So it really goes to show a lot of leisure travelers out there. But at the same time, while they're back to 2019 capacity in August, Southwest is not going to be the same airline in terms of network when, right. when that month comes. That's right. You you reported that uh, Southwest has rejigged its its network in response to this sort of the skew towards leisure demand versus corporate demand. Um, what and so what ways have they they changed the network? So what Southwest is now Southwest for those outside the U.S. is is known for you know fourteen daily flights between Dallas and Houston or L.A. and Phoenix. These high frequency busy routes, they capture lots of leisure travels, but they also capture a lot of business demand in these markets. You know, that has gone away for now. They're not flying nearly as many frequencies in these, these you know, traditionally busy markets, yet they've added 17 new destinations since the mm. pandemic began. And they're going, they're leapfrogging several of their competitors to become the third largest airline to Hawaii, a very popular leisure destination uh, by September. And notably, Hawaii also just unveiled plans to reopen 
to vaccinated uh, travelers or ones with a negative COVID test. You know, um, I believe is it June fifteenth or July fifteenth, Madhu? Well, some of the restrictions are changing. The um, the state will completely reopen. To uh, the governor uh, tweeted out today that the state will completely reopen um, when seventy percent of its residents have been vaccinated. They're, uh, they're, they're so they're easing restrictions. Yes, they are easing restrictions. Yes. But yes. importantly, and this is more an issue for uh, a win for Southwest competitor Hawaiian, uh, the the restrictions on inter-island travel will start to relax on June 15th. Um, as we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, you know, now residents of Hawaii who want to go from, say, Luhue to Honolulu for uh, shopping or a doctor's appointment, which is how people use that network in right. Hawaii, have to do a negative PCR test, which, you know, at a hundred something dollars really adds, makes the, the trip cost prohibitive. Uh, so th- that should, once those restrictions ease, that'll really help out Hawaiian. And Southwest does a little bit of inter-island flying, right? Or it did before right. the pandemic. No, no, they still do. They still operate some inter-island flights. Uh, they, you know, that was one of the, the, Interesting things about their entrance into the Hawaiian market was was the fact that they were going to fly into island. Most other airlines go to Hawaii. They connect the islands to the U.S. mainland, but not between the islands. So that it was an interesting play Southwest made. And it's it's been inter-island has long been the domain of Hawaiian Airlines since Aloha collapsed <laughs> uh, over a decade ago. Yes. So, <laughs> it, yeah, it's um, Southwest is still there. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. One other, one little tidbit that Stan also stood out for me in your story on Southwest was, um, so all, there's all this leisure and demand. There's, they're adding, they're restoring their 2019 capacity in August. But the rub is traffic won't, nope. won't be 2019 levels. Traffic will not. The airlines for America, the, the trade group representing carriers, does not expect U.S. domestic traffic to recover until the end of 2022. So it's interesting. Capacity will be back, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like they say, it's easy to fill a plane during peak time in August when everyone's going on vacation. But, you know, what are they going to do come September, October, if business travel doesn't come back? Well, yeah. And, and the, I mean, airlines so historically, at least since the, you know, sort of the big bang of mergers have been so, have been so focused on matching capacity to demand, cap- capacity to traffic, right? Right. And this seems like a mismatch to me. It does. It was gonna, it's, it's, it's funny. I wish uh, A4A's data gave more detailed forecasts. Of course, you know, they, they don't because they don't want to get ahead of the recovery. But it, I'm really curious to see what the anticipation is for, for the months during the summer, especially you know, how much of the recovery will be. Will we then slide back in the fall and until business travelers come back in force? You know, there's still a lot of question marks. And Southwest reflected that in their update this week, saying you know, they still see the recovery as, as volatile and it's not a straight line. So they might be back, but they're not saying uh, they might be back with capacity, but they're not saying that the recovery is done. Right. And let's also not forget that us, the U.S. taxpayer, is picking up their labor bill. <laughs> that is right until the end of September. Right. So I wonder if, you know, if business travel doesn't come back in the same way that people like United CEO Scott Kirby predict in September when kids go back to school, he thinks, you know, the road warriors will hit the road again. If that doesn't come back by September 30th, I mean, what what do you think will happen then? Do you think there will be a massive slashing of capacity? Do you think 
There'll be more. Oh, I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a massive slashing uh, Madu. Not like we saw last year, but you know there will be some. I think uh, focused cuts, strategic cuts. They're gonna pull back where you know people aren't going. It's the airlines have gotten so good at being very you know adding a couple flights here where there's demand, pulling back a couple flights there where where there's not, and that's what we would see. You know they yeah. they've been they've gotten very adept at changing their schedule less than a month out. So well, I, I yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, my my belief is like you know, and I think we're on the same page is that when when the labor costs come back into their systems, like they they'll work pretty hard to 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 rectify that capacity traffic mismatch. Right, and that was an interesting thing you bring up uh, costs because Southwest is forecasting a double digit increase in chasm, um, huh. Even really? as they're recovering capacity, yeah, in the I believe in the third quarter. Don't don't quote me exactly on that, but you know costs are going to become an increasing issue for U.S. carriers, mm. especially as the CARES Act, um, CARES Act protections, features three, uh, <laughs> three uh, wear off. So that that'll be. I think costs are going to be a big uh, topic of discussion towards the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, none of us has a crystal ball, so no, no. And we're back, Ned. It's uh, we're, we're we talked about Southwest. We talked about Boeing order, and um, there's some other fleet news that we never really got to, and that is uh, United's big splash. Uh, oh, this was ordering some more uh, e jets, Madhu. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. United's got a few more e jets and maybe a few triples. No, it's uh, United uh, making a splash with its uh, its announcement to order up to fifty supersonic aircraft it's a it's a you know supersonic deal what would they say (laughs) (laughs) and these aircraft would be built and i notice i'm using the subjunctive here they would be built the conditional right uh, um, by boom um, which has been very active you know for the last several years has been we've all seen the boom ceo conferences talking about this next great supersonic aircraft that they're designing now <laughs> dad <laughs> well the i i it, i i read that release i read up on this deal and i have a lot of questions which no one seems to want to answer i'm sure you do too <laughs> i am color me skeptical that yes. is the best way to describe it you know supersonic travel is um expensive you know, John Oster at the Air Current put it very well that, you know, you can't get beyond the laws of physics. The faster you go, the more fuel it takes. And, you know, this deal t- talks about being, you know, carbon neutral, kind of all kinds of, you know, buzzwords that really play well today. You know, but they they don't have an engine. Right. They... Uh, well, yeah, let's stop. Let's pause there for a second. So this thing is meant to be carbon neutral, right? And you can fly from from Tokyo to San Francisco in six hours and from Newark to London in six hours or three, three. hours rather at a speed of 1.7 Mach. Um, and it's it claims to have an engine that's optimized to run on sustainable aviation fuel well that's well and good but tell me where this imaginary engine is right like it doesn't have an engine doesn't have a propulsion unit and so but yet 
the two companies believe this thing will be rolling off the production line, this engineless aircraft. It'll find an engine between now and 2026 when it rolls off the production line and will be certified in United Sleep by 2029. That is eight years from now. And you and I both know that, I mean, designing and building a regular subsonic aircraft by one of the major airframers does usually takes a lot longer than eight years. Yeah, no, I, I think back to the, you know, Pratt & Whitney GTF engine development and look at all how much time that took, the issues that early A320neos yeah. had with the engine. And that's, like you said, a standard subsonic engine by a, you know, with the backing of one of the largest engine manufacturers in the world and the, one of the largest OEMs in the world. And they still, it still took longer than expected with mm -hmm. many issues that had to be rectified. And here, Boom wants to come along and have an entirely new supersonic engine develops um, that, you know, and they have what, how much clout do they have? They're not, not as, not a ton yet. An, you know, they have a lot of press, new, but yeah. clout is a different thing. And an entirely new supersonic engine that is going to run on sustainable aviation fuel. Oh yeah, exactly. Let's not forget that sustainable. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Which I mean, like, where, where, uh, so many questions. Like, where, where's this a, a sustainable aviation fuel coming from? What kind of system? Where, you know, what? How is it going to be supplied? How is this thing going to? And as to you know, you said Ostrauer said uh, you can't repeal the laws of physics, and you can't, right? And this thing will still create a sonic boom, which really right. limits its. Uh, the ability for it to operate over land. So basically it completely eliminates that opportunity because all of the rules that govern where the Concorde could fly are still in place. Yes. The plane can only fly, you know, do over oceans and that's the only place it's going to be able to pass the sound barrier. So it, it still is lots of restrictions. And it, I mean, what is it? 88 passengers, right? Oh, I don't remember the exact configuration, but it's, it's, it's low. So fare is going to have to be, I want to say it was 1.7 or 1.8 multiples of, of this, you know, average economy fare right now. Um, no, that might, I, I, I might be quoting that wrong. Maybe the average business, business class fare. I think but, yeah, average business, business class, class fare. fare. Business class fare. But, you know, it's with, with business travel changing and, you know, the introduction of all this video conferencing technology that, that will change business travel despite, you know, the varying estimates that, of what's going to come back and what's not. It really makes you wonder, are there going to be enough people that are going to pay for this to make the plane profitable and the routes profitable for United? Right. And also, I mean, 88 seats, I, that, it, you're, it's expensive. It's not very environmentally friendly. I mean, you're flying this thing for... for at max capacity, let's say 88 people or whatever, that's got to be some very green fuel to make it carbon yeah. neutral and to make it sustainable. I mean, it's just, there are so many questions. I mean, it's fantastic PR for, for United and for Boom. I mean, I saw this on my local TV station on, in the morning news, like, you know, United's going supersonic. And I thought, well, United really bought itself a halo here. Right, um, right. You have to wonder how much, and, and they're not disclosing any financial details of the transaction, so nope. there's really no way to know. Yeah, um, Scott Kirby was asked about that last week at the Bernstein conference, and he said, just flatly, I we're not talking about it. So who knows? Like, we just don't know. There, like I said, so many questions. But uh, it's funny you mentioned the Bernstein conference, Madhu, because I also recall Kirby saying that 
you know, those lunch meetings in London, you know, people fly over from from New York rightfully should disappear after the pandemic. Uh, but it feels like at the same time that going supersonic is sort of like, oh, you should do these lunch meetings in London. So it's uh, it's kind of discrepancy in terms of what uh, he thinks is going to come back and what he's actually doing. Right. And I still keep going back to this thing is going to fly be theoretically roll off the line in 2026 and be certified by the FAA in time for it to join enter commercial service in 2029. I mean, that that just seems like a fantastical timeline, like no, just un, completely unmoored from reality. But that's just me. I don't know. It certainly seems to have taken longer first. <laughs> I mean, we saw how long it took to certify the, the Ryanair's Max, and that's a Max. <laughs> <laughs> or just the plain old Max, actually. That took a plenty, plenty of long time to certify. Now we're talking about a supersonic air, aircraft that runs on like tomato, ground up tomatoes or something. <laughs> and I just, I, <laughs> sorry. I mean, it just, it seems like it's an, let me just say, it seems like a ambitious Every timeline. home composter's uh, g- garden, you know, leftovers can be used for uh, the new uh, SST across the Atlantic is what you're saying. <laughs> All right, Ned, what else have we got going on this week? There's, it seems like there's a lot of news and just a lot of... Um, Isn't lot of- there, in the leasing uh, space, GCAS, their, their deal is moving forward, Madhu? It is, actually, you know... Um, uh, GEC Larry Culp last week said at this same conference, and, and this got widely picked up, that uh, the Justice Department has completed its antitrust review of the $30 billion GCAS air cap tie-up, and the deal is expected to close by the end of this year. I uh, tried to get confirmation from the Justice Department, which is typically um not responding and <laughs> not confirming or denying and that, that's that's standard for them that until it's completely you know all the the i's are dotted and the t's are crossed they're not going to say anything um i did hear though you know i did ask about um you know this is a complex murder in that for a company that operates in many countries and jurisdictions about I did ask whether how the regulatory process is going in other jurisdictions, and I was told that uh, the deal should get its final sign-offs everywhere by, at the latest, the first quarter of next year. So that's moving ahead. That will create the world's largest lessor by a country mile. So it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting thing to watch. Think of the clout they'll have with uh, with the OEMs when they oh, go into yeah. order. Yeah, for they'll sure. Make, they'll be able to make or break airplanes. They, they'll be able to buy, you know, if they want uh, an airplane that runs on tomato juice, they will have an airplane that runs <laughs> on tomato juice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Well, Ned, I think we're, we're kind of out of time. Um, well, it's a shame. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Madhu. It's your job. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us again for another uh, another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. So, like I said, if you have any feedback for Ned, you can reach him at er at skiff.com. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. We always welcome your feedback and we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, Madhu. Bye, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, 
Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.